101.1. Current events, personal values, political and social issues, technology, wars and tensions. Join us for the next hour to discuss and learn how the things happening in our world today point to God's prophetic word as signs of the times. Iran will do whatever it takes to destroy Israel, and the world will do whatever it takes to take away Israel's right to defense while condemning her in the process. The FDA is in the process of approving another vaccine. Here's a question. Can someone vaccinate us from the Vatican? Those stories plus some good news as we peruse the signs of the times. Our weekly peek at Bible prophecies in the world's news for Friday, November 17th, 2023. The world is nuts, but finding the right insurance doesn't have to drive you crazy. Our sponsor, Bob Johnson Insurance, a full-service independent agency featuring Erie Insurance products, is ready to give you a sanely simple personalized quote when you contact them by phone at 865-922-3111 or online at bobjohnsonins.com. Listen, watch, read the articles we talk about, or do all three. You can share any of our shows with someone you know, or you can ask Pastor Mark a prophecy question. You can do all those things by hitting us up at thewaymedia.net. Then just click Signs of the Times, or you can do the same right on our Way Media app. And now, here to remind us to always live within your budget, even if you have to borrow to do so, is Pastor Mark. (laughs) who recently had an argument with his wife who told him he was being immature. So he told her to get out of his pillow fort. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty good. And, really, there we go. and even your intro, sometimes your intros make me laugh. There's honest laughter there. Fantastic. I don't know about why. Just, just maybe sometimes if you do that and you see me laugh, just stop. No, I'm just kidding. You want to know? I'm just kidding. <laughs> you, uh, Pastor Mark, my heart is full of Thanksgiving. Yes, mine is too. Mine is two. <laughs> and that's what we call a segue. Yes, it is. Yes. And so, and you know, and, and well, and we realized right before the show, yes. uh, sometimes I don't think till the last minute, but you know, this is the last show before Thanksgiving because you guys are going to hear from us there. We take that Friday off. And, and so we're, we're kind of done there as far as that goes. So yes. what we've done the last couple of years, and I thought I want to do it again this year, whether we'll do it every year, I don't know. Is, is to really talk about just a moment here at the beginning of the show, the true and complete story of Thanksgiving. And I say true and complete because you don't often hear the true story and you don't often get the complete story of Thanksgiving. And this new generation, they're not teaching them that. Why? Because it, it really speaks of God and God's interaction in our nation, our founding fathers and their desire for the nation to be around God. And so again, because the enemy's always trying to wipe God out of our nation and out of our history, you don't hear that. And and Greg, even it's interesting, even our economic system that has been so successful and led the world is in the Thanksgiving story. And it's a, it's a massive part of it, which wow. a lot of people don't realize. So this is not a, when I read this, this is not a political reading. It is simply the story. But when you hear what happened, it is very clear that even the political, even the economic success of America goes back to our Thanksgiving. Wow. Okay, let's hear it. Let's do it. The let's true, it. and I'm going to read this for you guys. Listen, this is the true and complete story of Thanksgiving. And uh, this is some history that I put together a few years back and I also got from some other people as well that I put together history and kind of just made it my own words and verbiage here. But it says, the story of the pilgrims begins in the early part of the 17th century. The Church of England under King James was persecuting anybody and everybody who did not recognize its absolute civil and spiritual authority. So if you didn't come under his authority civilly and spiritually, you were in trouble. The government was God. The government was the religion. The government was the church. And those who challenged that, those who believed strongly in the freedom of worship, were hunted down, and they were imprisoned, and sometimes executed for their religious beliefs in the 1600s England. A lot of people don't realize that. 
So there was a group called the separatists. You may have heard that term. People that didn't want any part of it, and they had their, they had their limit. They were done. They fled to Holland. They said, we're out of here. We're going to go to Holland. We can't be under this oppression. The pilgrims didn't come from England, which people think. They came from Holland. Now, they, again, fled to Holland, but that's where they left was from Holland. Uh, they fled first to Holland, again, established a community there, and they were there for 11 years. Now, before they headed over, 40 of them agreed to make a journey to what was then called the New World, or America today, where they knew they would certainly face many hardships. But the promise was that they could live and worship God according to the dictates of their own conscience. So understand this. When they headed out to come to this nation and establish it, it was based on we get to worship God the way we want to worship God. And they were Christians, so that was in line with the Bible. Now, let's go on. The belief in freedom of religion to engage in this kind of activity in order to be able to do it uh, to, and to be able to cross the ocean for a place, you know, you had no idea what to expect just to be able to worship as you choose. Well, that's huge. Think about that, Greg. I mean, what a, a lot of us, it's too far to drive to church. I have a lot of traffic mm. today. They're, they got a boat and said, we're going to cross the ocean <laughs> yeah, to go to point. church because we want church that we can freely worship. Freely in. worship. Yeah. So on August 1st, 1620, the Mayflower set sail. 102 passengers, 40 of which were original pilgrims, and were led by a man named William Bradford. On the journey, Bradford set up an agreement, a contract as they were traveling on the ocean, that established what turned out to be basically a socialistic society. Uh, just, Just and equal laws was the idea for all the members of the new community, which was to be irrespective of their religious beliefs. Where did the revolutionary ideas express uh, the Mayflower Compact, what they put together? Where did this come from? Well, they were Christians, so it came from the Bible. And the pilgrims were a people that were completely steeped in the lessons of the Old and New Testament. And the pilgrims looked to the ancient Israelites as their example. And because of the biblical precedents in Scripture, they didn't doubt their experiment would work. They believed God was going to, because they honored God, and they're making this great step of faith for God, he would honor them. And indeed he did, but not without much hardship. Mm, Yeah. They were a people with incredible faith. The journey to the New World, again, was long. It was arduous. And when they landed in New England in November, according to Bradford's journal, they found a cold, barren, desolate wilderness. No friends to greet them. No dock. No hotels. And again, we would add today, if you want to put it in modern day, no gas stations, strip malls, nothing. It was just bare land with nobody there that they knew of. Rocks and coastline with no houses. They, uh, the sacrifice they had made for their freedom was just the beginning, and they knew there was a lot of work to be done. During the first winter, half of them died, including William Bradford's own wife, uh, of either starvation, sickness, or exposure. And when spring finally came, um, out of the woods walked an Indian by the name of Squanto, who surprisingly spoke perfect English and was able to speak to them and help them survive in this new land. Think about this, Greg. What, you see God's hand in all of this. How does this Indian that speaks perfect English when the rest of them didn't walk out of the woods, greet all these pilgrims that were seeking God to start this new work for God, and tell them how to survive? I got a thought. How, what's that thought? Angel. Well, Squanto was a real person. Okay. Yeah. Now, but you're right. Right. It could have been an angel, but this is Squanto. Okay. He's a historical figure okay. that traveled to England. We okay. have records of him. But you're right. God okay. could have done it. But this was a real historical okay. figure. Now, uh, he had been captured again earlier. Here's how, he got, here's how he spoke English and how he got there. He was captured many years earlier and brought as a slave to Spain. But upon arriving, somehow escaped from his slavery and made his way in England, found a job, found work, and lived there for years. And while in England, learned fluent English and was eventually returned to America so he could go back to his homeland, to his native land, on a different journey with another boat. So he got released and got to go home. So God took him literally to the new to to Spain, taught him English, brought him back, put him in the woods, waiting for the pilgrims to get there. I mean, this is kind of stuff you don't hear. I mean, can you see God's hand? It is undeniable. It's just amazing. He then found the pilgrims when they arrived and helped them survive by learning to live off the land until they were able to do it on their own. So the first Thanksgiving feast was to give God thanks for saving their lives, showing them how to survive and thrive in the new land. And establishing them in the new land. So, again, Thanksgiving, the first one was to give God thanks for his faithfulness to keep them alive and establish them. And hence began the yearly celebration of Thanksgiving to God for his love and faithfulness. So it began right then every year, although it wasn't officially recognized until George Washington later, it began right then. Now, as time went on, 
The settlers learned how to plant corn, how to fish for cod, skin beavers for coats. Um, life improved, it says, for the pilgrims, but they still didn't prosper. And Greg, there was a problem. Now, here's some history with the pilgrims we need to know as well. When they showed up, they didn't know what they were doing, uh, didn't, you know, how to live. So again, Squanto and the Indians fed them, showed them how to feed themselves and make the coats survive again after that first bad winter. And, um, again, they, they opened the, uh, you know, through the, the history tells us through the pen of the pilgrims that their true thanks was to God for helping them in their belief in Him and Scripture and to arrange the affairs, forming their colony in such a way that they could ultimately survive, as we said. But the truth was borne out in George Washington's first Thanksgiving declaration when Thanksgiving became a national holiday. And Washington made clear that Thanksgiving was to thank God for America and for everything that had happened leading to the founding of America. And President Washington and many other founders felt divine inspiration throughout the entire period of time following the pilgrims' arrival. Again, seeing the same things we're seeing. Now, here's something we don't know about history on this. The original contract for the pilgrims uh, when they signed the, the Mayflower Compact, um, it had merchant sponsors. In other words, they didn't have the money to come to America. So what they did was they went to merchant sponsors there in Holland and said, will you pay for us to go to America? And then when we get there and and and, and thrive, we'll pay you back what you loan is kind of like a bank loan, if you will, to go to America. And they found people that believed in them, that God would do it. So they gave them loans. That's how they came to America. They couldn't have come any other way. So the, the, they sponsored the trip. The sponsors actually were not all in Holland. Some were in London as well, but they had to be repaid. So in this Mayflower Compact, they agreed that what they would do is, as a community, they would all come into a, a work as hard as they could and make a common store and a single bank account with a common share. Uh, each member of the community was entitled to an equal share of the gross. Uh, it was determined this is the only fair and equal thing to do at the time. So all the land they cleared was everyone's. All the houses they built was everyone's. They belonged to a community or a commune, if you will, a socialistic society. And so what's interesting is our first official form of government in America on this land was uh, officially socialism. A lot of people don't realize that. Now, again, nobody owned anything. All went to the community. Everyone shared everything. However, it ran into a problem. And this is interesting to me when I read this history, because it's the same problem socialism has had throughout history, even in the church, which we don't have time to veer off in, but even today with those that would think, hey, we try socialism in America. It's never worked and it never will. Yeah. Well, it failed. But here's what happened. Here's the, here's the history behind it. William Bradford became the new governor of the colony. He recognized that as time went by, the system wasn't working. And so he writes in his journals, they weren't making any money or profit to pay off their sponsors that had sent them to the new land because everybody got an equal share no matter what happened, it said. And the problem was some were very diligent and worked very hard and contributed. Others didn't work at all and simply took the benefits. So everything the diligent earned was split equally among those who did nothing and no one made anything. Hence, William Bradford saw that this had uh, this first contract, he said, had to be completely torn up. Socialism had failed. They had to create a new community based on what they call what we call today capitalism. The, he said, here's the bottom line. The more you produce, the more you get to keep. The harder you work, the greater the fruits of your labors. It goes back to the Bible where it says, mm-hmm. uh, you don't work, you don't eat. Yeah. If you wanted a bigger home than somebody else, you could afford to build it if you worked harder. And you didn't have to share your extra earnings that you worked harder to get. The change unleashed everything, he writes, in the pilgrims, and suddenly they had a thriving economic community that was so prosperous that others in Europe said, we want to move there and get in on the action. They now had far greater means than they ever thought they would. They, uh, the Mayflower Compact and Socialism was completely done away with. Um, those that worked hard thrived. Those that didn't just fizzled out. Bradford writes about all of this in his journal and says this, and I quote, It was for this that the original pilgrims gave thanks. Not to the Indians saving them, although they were very thankful for that. But Bradford said in his writings, their true thanks was to God for helping them survive and thrive in this new system they had uh, um, that, that had never been before. William Bradford said in his journal that after abandoning the original compact and allowing people to keep everything they themselves earned, that they had very good success. And I quote from his journal, I quote, he said this, for it made all hands industrious. So as much more corn was planted than otherwise would have been. In other words, when they implemented capitalism, they began to thrive and become the envy even of those in Europe. In other words, they had economic growth. They had prosperity because there was personal incentive rather than everyone getting a share of what the others worked for. Uh, and so the pilgrims found that they had more food than they could eat themselves. 
And this is where Thanksgiving became in, came into the picture. The pilgrims had more than they could share, more than they could eat, more food than they could serve each other. Therefore, they invited the Indians to join them in this great celebration of Thanksgiving. They set up trading posts. They exchanged goods with the Indians. And the prophets finally allowed them to pay off the debts to their sponsors, the merchants in London and Holland, who had sponsored them. But it was the sharing of the bounty that was created by the change in governing structure that led to this abundance of plenty that allowed them to invite the Indians to share with them in this blessing. After a couple of years, the word of what the pilgrims had done spread throughout the new uh, spread about this newfound prosperity and regular ships of migrants coming to America began in earnest. Multitudes began coming to the new world with new opportunities of religious freedom uh, as well as economic freedom. Free enterprise had been established where the fruits of your labor determined what you got, what, what you had, and what you were able to do. It was so successful, they felt they had to give thanks to God for this abundant blessing. These were deeply religious people. They were giving thanks for what God had done in establishing them in this new world and making them successful and prosperous through this new economic system. And, uh, and, and again, the thankfulness to the Indians for how they helped them. Uh, and now that, again, they said, according to history, is the true story of Thanksgiving. Wow. Isn't that amazing? That is very now, amazing. Do you think they Wonderful. teach that? Do you think they teach that in any of our schools? Uh, no, they, they teach a different story. Yeah, I would say quite a bit different. I mean, again, I think we need to understand, guys, God's hand was in this, and it wasn't even really about this whole idea of the, of the recorded history of this wasn't even to talk bad about socialism. It simply made the point. Socialism has always failed. It failed. Uh, it, historically, it's failed. It failed with the Founding Fathers. And those who try to bring it back now, if they do it again, it's going to fail again. Look, capitalism is not the best uh, possible economic system. Jesus Christ is. But until Jesus comes back, getting to keep what you work for is the motivation for mankind that pushes people to work and really goes back in line with Scripture where the Bible says, if you don't uh, uh, work, you can't eat. But if you do, then you get the reward of your labors. And again, thanks to God for bringing that wisdom to them. Thanks for God for establishing them. And really, I think religious freedom is the main thing about it all this. But it's interesting to me how even the economic story of Thanksgiving works into the story of Thanksgiving to God for all that God had done. So now you know the true story of Thanksgiving. Yeah. That's wonderful. It is. And I hate to make the segue from Thanksgiving to uh, to this, but here we go. Here we go. All right, in Ezekiel 38 and 39 news, this is from the Times of Israel. Uh, do you pronounce that Kuds? I think it's Kuds. Kuds. Kuds Force Chief. This is what he says. Iran will do whatever it takes. To aid Hamas war against Israel. Yes, the Quds Force is, is is one of five branches of the Iran's Islamic oh, there we go. army okay. of, the, of the guards. So just so people know who that is. And again, I, I can look up how to pronounce it later, but I want you to know who it was. The Quds Force, yes, do whatever it takes. Now, this is interesting, Greg. The reason this really struck me uh, as interesting is that just a couple of days ago, ago they said they weren't going to support them. Listen, Iran will do whatever it takes, they said. This is as of November 16th, yesterday, to assist Hamas in its war against Israel. Commander of the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps elite, Quds Force told the head of Hamas military wing in a letter published by the Iranian state media on Thursday, so yesterday, and I quote, We stand with our fraternal pledge that unites us, and we assure you that we will do whatever it takes in this historic battle, Ismail Ka'ani wrote in the letter to Mohammed Daif. Uh, the letter was published uh, one day Note this, one day after Reuters reported that Iran's supreme leader Ayatollah Ali Khomeini told Hamas chief Ismail Hanaya earlier this month that since Sharam was not given prior notice of this devastating terror onslaught on October 7th, it would not join in the war against Israel. So just yesterday they were saying, look, Iran's not going to help them. Iran's out of this. They're not standing with them. Now all of a sudden Iran, they see, they go, whoa, 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 no. We stand with them, and we're going to do everything we can to support them. So, again, this the reason that's so interesting to me is is that it looked like Iran was backing off, and okay, maybe there's not going to be the Iran-Russian war, and there may not be yet. Could just be a, a contraction that's going to fade back down. But Iran just kind of put that contraction back in place by saying, no, 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 we're not backing off. False report by Reuters. We're very much in here, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, again, interesting to see that they're still very much a part of this, and, you know, could it could push this thing to other heights at any moment. Well, and that's why we've got it in the Ezekiel category, because, Pastor Mark, if Israel by proxy, or not Israel, uh, Iran by proxy, uh, unites themselves with Hamas, right? does that not make Iran fair game in the sense of 
the warfare that's going on, and maybe that's the doorway that Iran walks through in their involvement, and then, of course, grabs the hooks in the jaw, and Russia comes in, and now we've got Ezekiel. Yes, I mean, gr- we don't know. No, but a great observation, Greg, because here's what Iran has been able to do. As a matter of fact, I saw this comedy video just uh, a couple days ago done by some, some Middle Easterners. I don't know who did it, but... What Iran is doing is they have all their what they call proxies fighting for them. Like everybody's fighting. It's really yes. Iran doing it. But they're they have different brand names. But their government. Yes. We're not, we're not doing that. Yeah. That's the, Hamas. The Hamas brand. That's Hezbollah. That's Syria. But it's yeah. all Iran because Iran's yeah. funding it, supplying it. They're all working for Iran. But it keeps Iran from officially declaring war and, and the world from officially declaring war from Iran. Because what, what are they doing? Yeah. They're over there doing nothing. Exactly. A little bit of hummus and a dividend. You know, they're having yeah. coffee. And look at those people <laughs> fighting over there, right? Yes. But here's the thing. See, now now that Iran has said that, if it, that gives more credence to, hey, their government is now officially involved. Not just all these proxies they're using. That would make them an, an, a legal target in this war and in this battle and can really ratchet things up. So it's odd to me they would say that because they've been avoiding it. The funny video I was telling you was they showed these um, these uh, Arab guys uh, or Middle Eastern guys, you know, waving these Palestinian flags and attacking somebody with the Israel just attacking them. But it was all fake, but they're pretending they're attacking yeah, yeah. And this guy with an Iranian flag just walking back like he didn't see it. Just well, you know, And they stop him. Hey, 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 aren't you going to help us? He's like, no, no. And he goes, why? But they try to stop him. Hey, hey, no, no, you guys go ahead. You're doing fine. And they had him walking back and forth watching it and enjoying it, but having no part of it. So they were making they're making the point. Iran's really the one doing this, but they're not getting any 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 flack for doing it because yeah. they're acting like they're not a part of it. Again, this is very why they would do this. It does turn up. It, they, they know, Greg, that if they say we're a part of this, that turns up the heat on them. So their boldness to do that, they have to either be angry or bolder than they should, or maybe they're getting some reassurances from someone. Oh, let's say maybe Russia. That they'll stand with them if something happens. I mean, this is odd behavior. It's kind of like the kid on the playground that threatens the big guy. You're going, why are you threatening the big guy? Why would you do that? You're going to get beat up because I have a bigger guy behind me that if you touch me, he's going to wallop you. I will see. I don't know. Well, you know, and we've noticed this just in society in terms of the uptick in evil where um, the things are not done in the shadows anymore. Things are really done in broad daylight. Yes, they are. Absolutely. And when we think about the October 7th massacre and how Israel has found out that uh, Russian involvement by way of drone support and things like that through whatever they're they're doing in terms of their um, forensic investigation after the fact, seeing that, you know, Russia was involved, yeah. you know, at least at the very least making a supply of oh, yeah. this equipment. They found Russian war f- uh, weapons, yeah. absolutely, and drones. So maybe they realize at this point, and to keep the momentum going of where they're at, because the rhetoric sounds like this isn't just like we're going we're gonna to smack you and run. Yeah. No, we're going to smack you, and we're going we're gonna to stand our ground and keep smacking. Now's the time for us to push. Yeah. That's why Ezekiel's probably a lot closer than what we we realize and maybe iran is following like you said got the assurance that russia it's like if if it's out in the open now that russia was involved well you know russia's the big brother to iran they can just stand behind russia that's right and keep pushing russia to do what they're doing that's right anyway. that's right and why'd you say smack you and run why'd you say that is that just a term you thought of no just kind of like because that's what they've done before yeah I'm, you know they they've 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 lobbed they've lobbed their rockets and then they run and they hide. See, that, but the reason I said that's funny because one time I realized my brother could beat me up and I smacked him and ran. Oh, okay. And he did beat me up. And okay. I thought, I, thought you, I don't know if you remember some story I told you about because what happens is. Oh, you, no, but I do remember you, you do saying something about that when you, you were little. You smack and run. Yes. You do get eventually yes. beat up. Yes. At least that's been my. my so my, so you were the Hamas in your family? I, I, I was. I was the hand Hamas. <laughs> there was a handprint on my back. All five fingers you could see were hit me so hard. I'm not kidding. Anyway, okay. Let me sidetrack us there, <laughs> no, but I, okay. I, I found that interesting. Okay. That's, that's funny. Okay. You may be. All right, let's look at some one world government. You know, it's funny when we get into these prophetic stories, especially for the times that we're living in, they all weave together. Yeah. They could all really be in the same category. Yeah. Uh, anyway, this is from Breitbart.com. This is de- dated November 14th. A, um, a useless nation, I mean, a United Nation official. Yes. Um, or maybe it's the United Nations of Useless Nations. Yeah. Um, official dismisses Israel's right to self-defense is non-existent. Yeah, anybody else can defend themselves, but not Israel. But not Israel. I mean, the hypocrisy, Greg, of these guys is so over the top. The un. The un, know, yes. The un. They're the un. Like the un-cola, the un. But again, I was just seeing, you know, uh, uh, this week... 
the number of something like 700 and something resolutions against Israel since 1948, and the highest anybody closest to wow. it was like 50 some. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's amazing. It's, oh, yeah. And, and so they just, even now, they're condemned. What talks about it. Listen to what it says. Well, that's the next story. Okay, okay, I'm sorry. Well, we'll see that then. Israel's yes. right to self-defense has been airily dismissed by an unofficial, <laughs> a UN official, who declared, who declared the fight against Hamas terrorists amounts to war crimes that must be accounted for. Uh, so defending yourself against them raping your, your, your women and killing your babies is a war crime. Oh. Unbelievable. UN Secretary Rapporteur for Human Rights Francesca Albanese made her claims in an address Tuesday to Australia's National Press Club in Canberra. She maintained, from a legal perspective, Israel's right to self-defense was non-existent, and the Jewish state had ignored proportionally proportionality in its unrelenting bombardment of Gaza. Now, there's so much here that's nonsense. First of all, their argument is Israel doesn't have a right to exist, so they have no right to self-defense, Okay, which is nonsense. Number two... This thing about proportionality, I just want to say this again. Proportionality means whatever you need to do to, to kill your enemies that have killed you, that's proportional. And until all of Hamas is wiped out, it's not proportional enough. That's the whole point. Um, you know, and, and for those, Greg, we, you know, we've talked about these kind of things before and probably even said it last week. But for those who say that they're just indiscriminately going in and trying to wipe out you know, civilians, look, this would have been over. It happened October 7th. It could have been over October 8th very easily. If that's really what they wanted to do was genocide and wipe out all the civilians, it would have been one day and we're done. That is not what they're doing, nor what they wanted to do. They're going after Hamas. And by the way, there now have videos of people in civilian clothes shooting anti-tank missiles and throwing grenades and firing. I mean, I mean these are, it's, it's, it, the, there are so many war crimes by Hamas, and there's no way they cannot wipe them out. It is nonsense to think. And again, I want to go back to this thing, any war throughout history. When you go to war, look, it's tragic that anybody that's innocent gets killed. But in war, it is simply a reality. You cannot separate out the women and children and civilians in war. London never did it. America's never done it. No war in history has ever done it. Israel can't do it. But I'll tell you, the most I've ever seen anybody try to do it, Greg, is Israel. Amazing how they've tried. And, and, and they have spared a lot of people uh, by doing that. It's, it's amazing to see what you know, God's faithfulness, again, to those who really, uh, again, I think want to be rescued. I think it would be good for the, uh, the U.N. ambassador from Israel uh, to be able to show some of the video of the atrocities before the United Nations. You know, I wish they would. I, I really do, because I, I think that makes the point, and you can't run from that. Now, you, you, can, still, you can still make a denial, but you're going to be in absolutely without excuse once you see what's been done. Yeah, and you, Greg, here's the thing, though. I think if you showed it to the UN, there's a, a large number of those countries that, hey, Israel, they wouldn't care. And that, they believe it's justified. And that could be true. It is. And that's fine. It is. I mean, a lot of them, a lot of them would go, oh, my goodness. But I'm telling yeah. you, believe it or not, even those that I've seen them in the streets in America when they've done these interviews, they said, so you think it's okay these women were raped and these you know babies cooked in an oven and, and, and burned, people burned alive? and all. You think that's okay? And they go, under the circumstances and what Israel's done, then yes, these are things. And you're like, oh, yeah. my goodness, yeah. under the cir- circumstances? What, what has happened? You know, this is why people that say that man is not innately sinful, that man doesn't have a sin nature, this blows that out of the water. This proves that man has a sin nature, that without God, there's no limit to the evil that we and I'm including myself in that. The evil that we, Any mankind, can do yep. without God is absolutely out the roof. We are evil by nature because of the fall. We need to be born again in Jesus Christ. And, of course, we're, you know, again, we're, we're raised with good morals, you know, and all that. doesn't mean because you're not born again you're not going to have good morals. But I'm saying, apart from being raised in good morals or coming to know the Lord, if you're left on your own without any kind of influence, you're going to go towards sin. And the level of evil, as we can see here, it is just unbelievable what's happening uh, in, in, our, in our next generation. Yeah. Well, it's a perfect segue to some growing anti-Semitism. Like I said, they, all of these stories just weave together. This is from Fox News. After failing to condemn the Hamas terror group, the useless nations adopted eight resolutions condemning the Jewish state. Yep. Unbelievable. I, I was looking for a, a copy of a picture I had of the resolutions. Oh, okay. No, I can't find it right now, but I was going to share how many they had told. But yes, and this is, here's the thing. They've been doing this for years, Greg, but this is during Hamas's massacre and all the rapes and all the atrocities. 
A United Nations watchdog has criticized the organization for passing multiple resolutions this week, this week, condemning Israel for various alleged human rights violations, but making no condemnation. Look at this. None of Hamas. At least pretend. I mean, do something to look like maybe you oppose Hamas. They didn't do that. Or any other groups or nations at a time when the anti, when anti-Semitism is exploding. The UN's assault, and I quote, on Israel was a torrent of one-sided resolutions just one month after the largest massacre of Jews since the Holocaust. The only purpose of these eight lopsided condemnations is to demonize the Jewish state. The world should not be deceived that these annual resolutions advanced the cause of peace or human rights uh, for them. And again, uh, you know, it reminds me of what happened, Greg. Again, we, we, some people are standing with Israel. We see the, the United Nations and all these people ignorant in the streets. But I want to mention this. I know you, unless we want to do go the turn of the hour and then me mention it. But what happened no, yesterday? No, do it now. All right. Do it now. Um, that many of you may know or may not know, look, there's a there's a, a decent-sized Jewish community here in Knoxville, and everybody should be standing with them, but especially us as believers. Again, the Bible says, those who bless Israel I will bless, and those who curse Israel I will curse. Well, we should take heed to that. And for those who would say, well, God's done with Israel, that doesn't matter. Well, you don't know Jeremiah, where God said, after the new covenant is established... As long as you see the sun and the moon still shining, I've not broken my promises to Israel. What is the new covenant? Jesus in his blood. So Jeremiah is saying this. When Jesus dies on the cross, after that covenant in his blood and, and the church age begins, as long as you still see the sun and moon shining, I am still standing with the nation of Israel. So we as believers all should be standing with the nation of Israel. And uh, in this whole uh, horrific thing that's going on, even just human nature would tell us that. But it was really neat because, again, they've had a couple of, uh, of, of gatherings I know of. There was one at the uh, Jewish community about a, a month ago or a little less than a month ago that we went to. or a gathering down there. We go show your support. And I know it's not advertised well, so not everybody knows about it. But there was one yesterday, and I didn't find out about it. It was on Market Square. I didn't find out about it until a really Wednesday afternoon. And so we announced it last night, and some of our people from church went to support them. But they set up tables in Market Square, and they set up chairs in Market Square, like a Sabbath table, Shabbat. And they put the, the empty plates and the dishes all around it for the number of hostages that have been taken. Over 200 chairs sitting there in this, wow. in this area out there in Market Square. And they put pictures of all the hostages on all the chairs, each hostage saying these are those right now that can't celebrate Sabbath because they're being you know tortured and abused by these evil people. And it was very powerful. Um, and then they had speakers down there. Uh, Tim Burchett was there, uh, our congressman, as well as um, um, uh, Dave Chavitz. Not, not Chavitz. I'm sorry. Our, our Tennessee a representative. We had several people down okay. there that came down there and made a stand. And, and, and so it was great to see people down there supporting them. They did some Hebrew songs that we sang, and they recited some scripture. And it went for about an hour or so, but it was a great time just wow. to show Wonderful. that open support for the nation of Israel right there in Market Square. And you know what? No incidents. Nobody yelled anything. Nobody attacked anything. It was it was like it was very peaceful. It was wonderful. And so again, if you hear of any of these kind of events, and if we know about them in advance, we can tell you guys. But again, Knoxville is, uh, I think, standing to a degree, standing with the, the Jewish community and the nation of Israel. And so that's very heartening to me. And Tennessee yeah. is standing with the nation of Israel. And still, really, America in large, although there are those pockets, as we see, that aren't quite obviously. But, um, you know, that's where our blessing comes from, is standing with the nation of Israel. So we need to do it. That's Pastor Mark Kirk, who's helping us understand the signs of the times. It's our weekly review of Bible prophecy in the world's news on WIAM LP Knoxville, a weekly radio broadcast that will become podcast number 287, available to subscribe and listen through wherever you get your podcasts. And now, you've got mail. We have two questions this week, Pastor Mark. The first one comes from Joseph, who enjoys signs of the times up on the Cumberland Plateau. And he's got a questions about Zionists. He says, there is someone out of Atlanta that is preaching that Zionists are the biggest terrorists. Could you explain who are Zionists, colonialists, and imperialists? He said Israel is the greatest terrorist in the world. Yeah, well, Zionism, again, first of all, according to Webster's uh, Dictionary, and I'll, I'll try to pull up each of these, uh, you know, for, uh, for you guys on that so you get the official definition. But Zionism, um, well, first of all, let's do, um, let's do definition of colonialism. Um, 
because I want to get the official definition rather than me just saying them you know, verbally. I was going to say them, but I want to read them so you guys can hear. Uh, colonialism is the domination of a people or an area by a foreign state or nation. The practice of extending and maintaining a nation's political, economic control over another people. So again, if there's a, if there's a nation that's already established and you go in and try to take that nation over, then they're saying that's what colonial, official colonialism is. Um, now, what's interesting is they try to say, they talk about American being colonialists here, but again, there was nobody here. Uh, yeah, the Indian indigenous peoples, but they didn't have a nation established. They just kind of lived here. And so there can't be any uh, colonialism uh, here, if you will, in that sense. But, but that's the definition of colonialism. Im- Im- imperialism, uh, the definition of imperialism is the policy, practice, or adv- advocacy of extending the power and dominion of a nation, especially by direct territorial acquisitions, or by gaining indirect control over political and ev- economic life in the area. So it's very it's very similar to colonialism and imperialism. It's very similar. Somebody else taking it over and running it, so to speak, etc. And so when you hear people talk about that, again, that would be really... Actually, if you want to see what that fit, it'd be more like a dictatorship coming in and taking over some nation. Let's say China takes over Taiwan. That would be colonialism and imperialism, not what you see America doing and certainly not what you've seen Israel do when they came back into their land and they were already in the land. They didn't they didn't do anything but just recognize themselves as a nation. They didn't just move in and take over. They were already there and more have moved back since then. So you hear these false accusations. But the one I want to really focus on here is I'm hearing a lot about uh, recently, Joseph, is Zionism. Here's the definition of Zionism, according to Webster's, um, and I put it in my own words here a little bit, but this is the basic definition. International movement to establish a Jewish nation in what is called today Palestine, or ancient Israel, uh, for the support of the modern nation of Israel. So it's basically just saying anyone who supports the modern nation of Israel is a Zionist. So if you support them... Like God. Well, there's your answer. God said in the last days he would bring Israel back in the land, which means God is a Zionist by biblical definition and by Zionism definition. So God is the biggest Zionist that there is. And so if God is a Zionist, I'll be happy to be called a Zionist. And and again, anybody that would say that Zionism is evil, what you're saying, you're saying God is evil. Well, mm, no, that's a good point. You're the one that's evil. God's not evil. You're the one that's evil. God is a Zionist. And God believes and stands with the nation of Israel being reestablished in the last days, as all of his prophecies say. So Zionism just means standing with the modern uh, nation of Israel and having them reestablished as a nation. There's Zionism. God is a Zionist. And so I think it behooves us as believers to be Zionists as well. And they throw on these terms of colonialism and imperialism. They try to use that to make it sound like you're a bunch of bullies coming in and taking things over. Nobody's coming in and taking things over. The Jews who were there simply got declared a nation. Because of World War II, and they had a homeland. Yeah. And then because they had a homeland, other Jews moved back because they needed to be safe. And that's how I got started. So there's no imperialism or colonialism by Israel. They're simply them, again, reestablishing the nation that yeah. God gave them. Uh, and, and, and yes, they're yeah. Zionists back in the land, but God is a Zionist as well. Like I said, if God is a Zionist, I'll stand in that place any day of the week. Maybe it's critical colonist theory. Critical colonist theory. Yeah. Where yeah. every, everyone's a colonizer, everyone's an invader. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Kind of like everyone's everyone's uh, a quote unquote race. But you know, it's funny, really. The Bible says, you know, that God establishes the boundaries of the nations. The only nation, although God has established all the boundaries, the only nation that God really stands behind and supports and, and tells us who it is. Here's the nation I've established that I, as far as I know, and he says, this is the one I've established and that I'm with is the nation of Israel, that portion of land. And that's the one that everybody taxed them for going and taking something that's not theirs. No, God said, I gave it to them. And Zionism means they can have it. That just means it's their land. And God says, I'm a Zionist. They're Zionists. Welcome home. Yeah. That's exactly what it means. All right, Pastor Mark, our next question comes from Michael, enjoying Signs of the Times out in Katy, Texas. And he's got a question regarding John chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. Why was Peter recognized as a disciple, but not John? He says, in my Bible study, I noticed something I hadn't before. Uh, John, throughout the scripture, was one of the three in the inner circle of Jesus, it seems, Peter, John, and James. Is there some reason for why this servant girl at the door only recognized Peter and not John? Yeah, well, let's give some history to this, sure. you know, and again, maybe it's just a misunderstanding of maybe the version that you have or whatever, Michael, because when I read this here in John eighteen fifteen, it says, and Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. 
So that's it's showing that Peter is a disciple, as well as another disciple followed him, and that disciple is John. Is it because he's not who is the author of this particular gospel? Yes, and 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 we know it's John because John again is the one writing it, so yes. he tells us and gives us a personal account. So that's how we know that John was there, and he was another disciple that was there. He was being um, humble. Yes, yes, and so <laughs> um, and as far as the you know the question here of you know the inner circle or uh, you know why does Peter and John begin that the recognition of the gate? Understand this. We know historically, okay, outside of the Bible, that John's family was friends with the priest, high priest family. As a matter of fact, John's dad, from uh, secular history, historical history, um, uh, you know, Zebedee, sold fish in the uh, market area to the high priest. And he was known that the high priest would come there and buy fish from Zebedee. And so he, he, he knew James and John. He knew the kids there. Hey, your boys. So they knew them. They had a personal relationship. Yeah. So they grew up knowing the high priest. They grew up knowing that family. And they were kind of like, you know, like, it'd be like if you got your, your, your favorite pizza or your favorite whatever. You're like, you know, you would know those people because you, you develop a relationship. Yeah. So when John showed up, it just says John went right in. Why was John able to go right in without being questioned? Because they knew John. The servants would have known John. The high priest knew John. Hey, it's John. It's Zebedee's little boy. Come on up. It's Zebedee's growing up. That's Zebedee's boy. You want to come in? You can come in. He, you know, that's the guy that sells us that great fish from yeah. Galilee. You know, So he comes in and joins them. Well, Peter, they didn't know Peter. So that's when Peter got to the gate, and then he had to wait. It says, the another gospel tells us, John went and let Peter in. He told the servant to let Peter in. So John goes, hey, this is a friend of mine. They let Peter in because John knows him. And then Peter gets in there, and John doesn't catch any flack or get any, anybody, hey, what are you doing here, or whatever, because he was a friend of the family. Mm. Peter was the stranger that was there. They recognized, you don't belong here. Who are you? You're from Galilee. Why are you here? That's when all the questioning began. That's when he denied three times. And that's how that happened there as far as uh, you know, John being, you know, being able, accepted and, and not threatened, Peter being threatened and put out and all that. John just kind of, he belonged, and he fit right in. So now you know why he was able to do that. Wow. Isn't that cool? Man, that is really cool, yeah. Pastor Mark. Thanks yeah. for sharing the hermeneutic results of your studies. Yes, yes, uh, yes. That was good. Um, if you've got a question uh, for Pastor Mark, we encourage you to visit thewaymedia.net or just download the Waymedia app on your smartphone. Go to Signs of the Times, and you'll see where you can ask Pastor Mark your prophecy question, or in this case, just a Bible question. You know, Pastor Mark is a prophetologist, one who specializes <laughs> in Bible prophecy, but he is a general practitioner of all things biblical as well. So there we go. All right. Pestilence, plagues, disasters, and corruption. Again, it's the whole show right there. That's right. All right. This is from Fox News. This article is dated November 11th. First vaccine for the chikungunya virus, uh, an emerging global health threat, gets FDA approval. Now, this virus, though, did not start here in America, correct? Yeah, this is a virus that we haven't seen in America, and I don't, I don't know the exact timing of how long it's been here. They say the Americas. But. Yeah, and, and but again, we're starting to see viruses now, Greg, that we haven't seen before um, that are transmitted by mosquitoes, which I'll make a comment of here in a moment. This is what's interesting is on Thursday, they announced the approval of this vaccine. The vaccine, which is made by Valneva, is approved for anyone age 18 and older who has a risk of being exposed to the virus. And notice this, the virus is transmitted to people through the bites from infected mosquitoes. It kind of reminds you of malaria and some of these other things. You know, we never worried about mosquito-borne viruses in America. I never heard about that growing up. It was never a concern, really, of any of any concern anywhere. Now, maybe it was in some limited areas that I don't know about, but I never heard about it. Now you're hearing more and more about it. Again, you see as the nation turns away from God, which sadly we are, then you see more disease and death come in. That goes with the territory. But with that said, it's interesting to me why in the world they're releasing these millions of mosquitoes. And maybe you've seen that in the news or have it. We don't have the article today. But um, Bill Gates Foundation has released millions That's of mosquitoes to know. in California and in Florida now, and they've let him do it. Uh, supposedly, they're mosquitoes that they've done DNA alterations that will actually, like, if they bite you, prevent you from getting certain diseases. Okay? I do not trust that for one minute. I don't either. And I'll tell you, it's interesting to me that right after you see all these millions of mosquitoes being released, that suddenly they say, guess what's happening? Now we're having mosquito-borne illnesses. I think this is the most foolish thing I've ever heard of in my life, that they would do this. But again, we live in a very foolish era, a very foolish generation, that we would even allow these things to happen. A lot of money, people have money, they can do what they want. And I, I, I think we're going to see a lot more of these kind of mosquito-borne viruses, Greg, because they're releasing these mosquitoes, and you're like going, what are you doing? And now we're seeing the results of it. So I don't think we're done with this. It's going to get interesting. And I don't mean to put fear in anybody's heart. I'm just saying, 
what we need to be doing is getting rid of mosquitoes, not releasing more. Uh, no, but this just underscores the scripture verse, and unfortunately, uh, the the address of the verse is I'm blanking on. Yes, but it basically says if God did not return, if He did not come back, yeah. if He did not put an end to all of this, that man would cause self extinction. Yes, essentially, is what the verse intimates. Yes, you know, and this is a great example, e- even if. Even if the intent of releasing the mosquitoes was good, you're messing with an ecological system or an ecology yeah. that God created. It's right. his design. That's it's right. not ours. And we think that me do, me do. And now we're going to think that we know better than God in his system. And we're creating more problems than what we had before. So... Thank the thank God that really He's going to come back and rescue mankind right. before mankind is completely wiped out. Because this is a great example of where we're headed. Well, if you don't believe in God and 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 see God as the Creator, Greg, you do these kind of foolish things. You do. That's and, a good point. And again, it, it, yes, I do believe there's kind of the headwinds pertaining to that verse. This is talking more about the Great Tribulation. This Matthew twenty four twenty two. If those days had not been shortened, then no flesh, you know, would be would be spared. But again, He's talking about the days shortened of the great of the Great Tribulation. However, we've seen this with prophecy. I'm thinking always, man can't govern himself. And, yeah, but there's always those headwinds. Yeah. And, and you're right. We're destroying ourselves. There's the headwinds of our self-destruction yeah. already beginning. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. And good correction on the scripture as well. But you know what I mean. All right, church. This Sunday, 930 and 1115, right that's here. That's right. At Calvary Knoxville. It's Saturday night at 6 o'clock. Yes. And believe me, you would rather go to our church than this church, and that's in the Vatican, ChristianHeadlines.com, reporting that the Vatican is allowing transgender individuals to be baptized, emphasizing avoidance of scandal or confusion. So basically what the Vatican is saying is that God wants to, they they want to, they're like the vicars of God or whatever, the representatives for God, that through them God is going to bless them for denying how he created them. Yeah, and you're, you're exactly right, Greg. And let me add to that as well. It's basically where you say, all right, we're going to yield to um, the morals of society as they change rather than standing on the never-changing Word of God. God says, look, you have to repent of your sin in order to be saved. This is a classic example of, you know what, rather than us preaching repentance from sin in order to be saved, we'll just say, you know what, you can go ahead and be saved and still be in your sin. You can't be saved and be in your sin. You have to repent of your sin in order to be saved. And so what they're saying is, yeah, go on. The Vatican's new decision comes after Brazilian Bishop Jose Negri wrote to the church's dicastery of the doctrine of faith with six questions regarding LGBT people and their participation in baptism and in marriage. Again, it shouldn't even be a discussion. It's like the Bible's clear. We need to preach the love of Christ and repentance that they might be saved. However, they say, and I quote, a transsexual undergoing hormonal treatment and sex reassignment surgery can be baptized under the same conditions as other faithful. If there are no situations in which there is a risk of generating public scandal or disorienting in the faithful, the document read, children and adolescents with issues of transsexual nature can be baptized as well, the document read. So again, this is saying, you know what, look, we can't beat it. The culture has made up their mind. This is okay. So we're going to incorporate that into the church, into the word, and say it's okay. You can live this way, and no big deal. Let's do all the normal things, be baptized, do whatever. But the Bible is very clear, and I'll say it again. Unless you repent of your sin, you cannot be saved. And, Greg, the sad thing to me here is that the church, I say the church, uh, you know, Andy Stanley, and I'm just going to say it because he's come out so boldly now saying that you can you can be part of the LGBT community and still be saved and go to church. He's coming out and saying that now. It is total apostasy and false teaching that Andy Stanley's now just very vocal about. So he has shown himself now to be a false teacher, and I'm not afraid to say that because he is publicly. I would never say that if he had not publicly come out and said it himself. So I will now publicly address that and say he's a false teacher. And, and he's leading people into eternal separation from God. He needs to repent, and he needs to let people know that they need to repent in order to be saved. But here's what's, here's the sad thing to me. Rather than it being the, the, the Catholic Church that first went with the society and allowed them to come in, 
it was the so-called Protestant church where it got accepted, and then now you see the Catholic church saying it. Um, usually the Protestant church has been leading the way on making the right stand, and the Catholic church veering away from the scriptures based on the political and societal pressures. And now you see, in this instance, it was actually at least one particular Protestant pastor and church who very, I'm sure there's more, but very well known, who led the way in that as well. And it's just tragic because here's the thing. Yes, it takes pressure off of you. Yes, you can, you know, it's like Paul said, you know, the, the, a lot of the Jews were wanting to get uh, circumcised just so they wouldn't get pressure from the Jewish community. They, they give their life to the Lord and still get circumcised. So everybody leaves them alone. Okay, I got circumcised. Don't bother me. Paul said, if you do that, that symbolizes coming under the law. Not that it's wrong to get circumcised today, because in the Gentile culture, it does not represent coming under the law. We don't live under a religious system. Right. But for the Jews of Paul's day, they were saying, we're coming under the law. And he said, if you do that, you've lost your opportunity to be saved. He said, you're going back to the law and, and leaving the cross, leaving grace. So it's the same kind of thing here. Rather than making a stand and saying, look, I may not be popular. I may get attacked, but you've got to repent or you can't go to heaven. We need to, we need to suffer the persecution now to love people enough. That is, I would say, to love them enough to suffer persecution that we might tell them the truth that they can be saved. This is tragic. It's eternally tragic. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, Jesus led the way in terms of suffering for something good, you know, uh, to give yeah. us that that way back to the Father. And, That's right. And, and if we're ambassadors for him, then we continue that crusade of preaching the good news yeah. in the face of sinful opposition. Yeah. You know, and remind remembering what Jesus himself said on the cross. You know, they don't know what they're doing. That's right. And they don't. They're blinded. Yeah. So be praying for those people yeah. for sure. Yeah. All right, let's get to some good news, as we can always use. Which is great today. Good news. Yes, it is. We've got a couple of them, actually. Yes. The first one is from ChristianHeadlines.com, uh, dated November 9th. Uh, so grateful to Jesus. 650,000 attend outreaches in Nicaragua and thousands of conversions yeah. and healings. What a great story. As reported by CBN News, missionary Britt Hancock of the organization Mountain Gateway, along with evangelist Nathan Morris and Shake the Nation's Ministries, have taken on God's calling to minister to the Nicaraguans. In 2023 alone, approximately 650,000 people have attended the outreaches, with one campaign left. Moreover, dozens of more outreach activities will occur throughout the next year, and I quote, In Jesus' name, by the end of the year, we will have evangelized an entire country, Hancock said. The country's got 6 million people in it, It's about the size of the state of Alabama in geographic size. The missionary noted that tens of thousands of people have come to saving faith in Christ while thousands have been healed. Now, Greg, again, what's so great about this, you know, we we talk about all the, the things that are happening that are tragic around the world, but God's still at work. God is very much at work, and God is still filling up the kingdom and people coming to the table to be a part of the kingdom. You know, I had somebody ask me on Sunday, um, you know, what about the rapture of the church? I think it was this past Sunday they asked me, but what about when the church is gone, does the spirit leave? You know, that's a common teaching that's not really accurate. And let me explain. I understand where it comes from. And I actually, when I first got saved, I believed it until I was further taught. I thought too. I was further taught in the scriptures. Because you think, well, all right. The Holy Spirit inhabits the church, so when the church is removed, the Holy Spirit leaves. But now what nobody made clear to me at that point was is, yes, he does, but the Bible also says in other places, there's no place you can flee from his spirit. In other words, the Bible says God's spirit is everywhere. David wrote in the Psalms, if I go to the depths of the ocean, he's there. If I go to the heart of the earth, he's there. He said, where can I flee from his spirit? The answer is nowhere. So what that means is God's spirit is still everywhere. It's just here's what's going to happen. The spirit in the people of the earth at that moment will be gone. But God's spirit will still very much be here filling the earth and working in unbelievers. And how do we know that? Because the Bible tells us after the rapture of the church, there will be millions of unbelievers that will be saved. And the Bible says you cannot be saved unless the Holy Spirit draws you to the Father. So the Holy Spirit will not be leaving when the church does, just the bodies he's currently in. He will still be very much at work here on the earth. He'll be very much working in the unbeliever, bringing them to the Lord during that time. And the neat thing is, is that even in the midst of war zones and horrible situations, the Holy Spirit's at work as well, even doing miracles, as we'll see in this next article. Yes. I did my own segue. Uh, you did your How own segue. You did your own segue. Oh, my goodness. You, I have nothing else to say oh other than ChristianHeadlines.com. Report says, it was a miracle. As Muslims in Gaza come to Christ after seeing Jesus 
in their dreams. Yeah, boy, we have talked about this before. If you've been yeah, listening, this is to not the first time. The, oh yeah, we have talked about this numerous times. Here's what happens: places where the gospel is outlawed and you don't have churches and missionaries, God will just go Himself. Jesus shows up and says, "Hi, I'm Jesus." Basically. Give your life to me. And they get saved. I mean, I love it. People, what about the the places where they don't send missionaries? They go, you think Jesus can't handle that? I, he goes where he needs to go. He reaches those who he knows will respond. And notice this story. What a great story. Numerous Muslim men in Gaza. By the way, those of you that have been praying for Israel keep praying. But we've been praying for the people in Gaza as well. And look, your prayers are paying off. Listen to this. Numerous Muslim men in Gaza came to Christianity in recent days after seeing Jesus in their dreams. In what is being described as a miracle, according to the new report from underground Christians in the region. The report was first posted online by author and Christian apologist Michael Lacona, who said God is working in the midst of this war. Lacona is a professor of New Testament studies at Houston Christian University and the author of multiple books, including The Case for the Resurrection of Jesus and Paul Meets Muhammad. The report, he said, was coming out of the Palestinian or out of the Palestinian from underground Christian ministry. So the Christians that are there that are that are embedded are going, hey, they're getting saved. And I quote, over the past two days, the report from the ministry said we have ministered to hundreds of fathers who have lost most, if not all of their children in the war. As we moved these men to safety, we fed them, washed their clothes, and began to read the Bible to them, sharing the way of peace through Jesus, the report said. Then a big miracle happened. Listen to this. Last night, in one night, Greg, it just blows my mind, that all these men there, right? In one night, Jesus appeared in dreams to more than 200 of them that evening. In their dreams. <laughs> this isn't just a one-off. And they and they came back to us to learn more from God's Word and said, how do we follow Jesus? Wow. That, to me, is so exciting. And again, I think about people that say, what about those who don't get a chance to hear? Look, Jesus is going to go get those he knows is going to respond, even if he has to supernaturally go to them in dreams. Romans chapter 1 says, even by creation and nature, God reveals himself as well. But I mean... So many stories you've heard, but Gary, think about this. In one night, they gather all these people together, and the Lord comes to that room and speaks to all of them at one time. Hey, I'm Jesus Christ. I'm your Savior. They get up the next day and say, tell us more about Jesus. How can we be saved? So God, yes, does God love the people in the Gaza Strip? Absolutely. For those who want to be loved and those who want to repent and those who truly want to know God, God is making himself known. And you know what? Had it not been for this war, they probably would have never even cared. So God uses even these tragedies for his glory. As the Bible says, he makes beauty from ashes. And he's doing the same thing in the Jews. I don't know about dreams, but Greg, the nation is coming alive in seeking God. They, they were very divided religiously right before this war, even trying in Tel Aviv to say they didn't want any more public prayers by the Orthodox Jews. And now they're all doing it in, in all over Israel. They're doing public prayers. They're doing all this. It, the, the, the soldiers are all praying for they go into battle. They, 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 they put a, a makeshift synagogue in Gaza together, and they're in there worshiping and singing and praising. God is doing an amazing work among the Jews and even among the Gazans in this war. You know, what's amazing to me, what, what hit me when you said that, is that Jesus, our creator, was able to speak to these men in their dreams, but it so resonated with the spirit within them that he himself created that they didn't even question the dream. It's like their spirit was now awakened, but God did that supernaturally because he created that spirit. Is that just not phenomenal? It really is, Greg. Think about it. When the Lord shows up, you know he's the Lord. Wow. I mean, that's, that's exactly I mean, it. You know, this is the Lord. And I've heard so many stories among the Muslim community of how God brought them. Again, just amazing to see God work and, and reveal himself and what he's doing there in Israel. And again, even though, you know, why didn't God do that for us? You know, how come God doesn't show up in dreams here again? Because we have pastors, we have churches, we have Bibles, we have the opportunity. And so our job is to go to the Bible and go to church and to hear these things and let God minister to them. And, and again, even today, I'll say it again. Mm-hmm. You've been hearing about Jesus. And yeah, you're hearing a prophecy show, and I get that. But right now, maybe the Lord for the first time is revealing right now to some of you that Jesus Christ is who he said he was, God in human form, and the only way to go to heaven. And if you will simply look, not accept yourself as you are in your sin, God loves you as you are. They say he'll take you as you are, but he doesn't leave you. 